Hello, hello, podcast listeners. This episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Bethany Arrington, who just freshly opened her very own home birth practice in Greenville, South Carolina. I hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed speaking with Bethany. Let's get started. Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This podcast platform is for midwives to tell their story. This is where you get to hear the how and the why a person is called on this journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself, and I came up with this idea so that all those people asking these questions had a place to go to find answers. I hope you enjoy these stories as much as I enjoy recording them. Okay. Well, Bethany, thank you for meeting me today. I'm excited to hear your story. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, So you are a certified nurse midwife and you just opened your own home birth practice in South Carolina. Am I right? Yes, that is correct. That's awesome. So we're going to hear all about it, but take me back to the beginning of what made you want to be a midwife. I think my story and my journey to midwifery is a little bit different than than most. You know, I, I feel like a lot of the midwives that I've listened to or have learned from, you know, knew from a very early age that midwifery was for them or, you know, they saw other people or other, you know, other people in labor um, or they had some big aha moment. Um, and I don't feel like I had that. I knew um, going through school, you know, going into college, I was really an undecided major, if that tells you anything. I really loved math and science and in the medical field, just kind of, um, I gravitated towards that. And as I was researching, I was thinking medical school, wanting to be a doctor. And then once I saw how much schooling was involved, I was like, nah, that's probably not quite, uh, not quite my speed. Um, and I found nursing. Um, I was at College of Charleston in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And it was about my sophomore year when I figured out that nursing was probably what I wanted to do. Um, Unfortunately, because I did not know ahead of time, uh, there was not a nursing program at the College of Charleston. So after my sophomore year, I transferred to Medical University of South Carolina, which is also in Charleston and did an accelerated nursing program there. So I got my bachelor's degree in nursing um, down in Charleston, South Carolina. And so through nursing school, like I said, I kind of organically fell into nursing and, you know, through each semester, we, we would uh, learn different topics and we had different clinical rotations and I hated everything. I was like, oh God, I made such a mistake. I hated peas. I hated geriatrics. Psych was no go. I was like, oh my gosh, I wasted all this time. And this is not for me. Um, and unfortunately, and, and, you know, I guess everything works out for a reason. Uh, our OB rotation was toward the very end of our schooling. And thank God for OB, because once I was there, I was like, okay, finally, like, okay, I could, I could get with this. This, this is pretty cool. Um, never mind that I like passed out in the OR, you know, watching a C-section, you know, I, I, that I just, I just was so enthralled at what I saw and I just knew, I was like, okay, okay, this is it. OB nursing is for me. Um, one of my clinical uh, instructors during nursing school was a nurse midwife previously to becoming an educator. And so 
I started doing research on midwifery and pathways to midwifery for nursing and found that nurse midwifery was an option. And I knew that it was going to take a lot, but I also knew that hashtag student loans. So I was like, I need to work. I need to make some money. I've been in school. This nursing school has been so grueling. I just need to take a break before going full force with midwifery. So I took about five years off. I did labor and delivery. So I was an RN working labor and delivery um, at Medical University of South Carolina, right there, right there in Charleston, um, where I was living at the time. And I learned so much. I mean, that, that was just such a valuable five years. I mean, working at a high-risk teaching hospital, I, I really saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of maternity nursing and never lost sight of my, my greater calling, which was midwifery. And so I knew that uh, while I loved being a nurse, that I was called for more. And I wanted a deeper relationship with the women that I was encountering and not just meeting them on Labor Day or birthday. You know, I really wanted to be a part of that journey um, and have history with them that kind of culminated to that big day. Um, and so about five years in, I decided to go back to school for midwifery. Um, I attended East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, unfortunately, at the time, there were no programs in South Carolina for midwifery. So I did a distance learning program through ECU in Greenville, North Carolina, um, while I was working um, labor and delivery. That was a crazy, crazy time in my life. Uh, I worked full-time up until the last semester of midwifery school when the clinical hours were just so much so that I couldn't. So I did full-time night shift labor and delivery by night and did, did part-time midwifery school by day um, and made it work. You know, at that time in my life, I was uh, in my early 20s. I didn't have kids. I, I, you know, I was footloose and fancy free. So I was able to make the sacrifices that were necessary to travel for clinical sites, sleep in hotels, you know, sleep on an air mattress, go on very little sleep and just Starbucks and Red Bull. Um, so, you know, I, I probably couldn't do that now, but, you know, at the time in my life when I was in school, um, I, I made it work as, as most of us, as, as midwives in training, um, as most of us do. So I did the program part-time. So it took me almost three years to complete. And so I graduated from East Carolina's midwifery program in 2012. And very quickly after that took boards, I knew, you know, I wanted to, while the information was fresh, I wanted to take boards very quickly. So I believe we graduated in May and I took boards in June. So as quickly as I could take them, I went ahead and did that. Um, and like all new grads, you know, I started putting out feelers, looking for jobs, really just kind of at the mercy of the, the job market. And really as a new grab wanting to just take on any job that would have me and train me. Um, and was very fortunate to find a practice in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina that was newly forming. Um, there were two midwives that were getting a midwifery practice that was hospital-based which was the first in this area. Um, there were two midwives that were about six months into the process of getting a practice started. And so they took me under their wing as a new grad in 2012. And it was uh, full steam ahead um, after that. 
I believe we were renting one room from a maternal fetal medicine practice with the hospital. Um, and we grew that practice in a matter of a few years to where we were delivering three, 400 babies a year, very, very quickly um, amongst the three of us. And so with, uh, with that volume, we grew the practice even more. And so at its biggest, um, the practice had uh, seven full-time uh, full-scope midwives. And so I felt like that was a great, great learning environment for me as a new grad coming into um, to do hospital-based midwifery, have a, an idea and to see what good physician collaboration could be and what it looked like. Um, we were doing water birth, we were doing V-bags, we were doing V-bag water birth, you know, intermittent monitoring, no IV, like, you know, midwives dream. We were, we were doing all of that it, with, with great collaboration and with great outcomes. And so I, I struck gold when I found that practice or when they found me. Um, and so it was, it was great. So that practice ran successfully um, and it's still going now. I became the director of that practice after being there for three years. Um, and so in 2015, I took over as the director of that practice and helped successfully open and run a freestanding AABC accredited birth center that was hospital owned. Um, and so I'm very proud of, of that fact. And so we ran that birth center successfully for about five years, well, about four and a half years. Um, and unfortunately it closed in 2019 due to some financial constraints that, you know, come along with the hospital practice and, and that plagues a lot of birth centers. Um, and so I um, was with that practice until just recently where I've left and have ventured to start my own practice, um, Genesis Birth and Wellness. That's awesome. You probably have just, I mean, all that experience. That's a great, great background to go into home birth. Not that everyone has that or needs that, but in your case, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so it's been great. You just put your little annu your announcement. What was it? Ten days ago, the eighteenth yes. is what I saw that said yes. you're open and running. That's yes. so exciting. I am officially open as of March. Yeah. Do so. How? So you opened a birth center already, but it was hospital ran. How or owned? I'm sorry. How do you feel like that really really helped you starting your own practice? I really think that it did. You know. As and I, I really at the time when I took over as the director of that practice, I uh, was obviously not the most experienced at the time, but I had trained and worked um, in midwifery school in a birth center. And so at the time, I was the only midwife in the practice that had any sort of concept of birth center or birth center experience. And so I, I was volunteered slash voluntold that, hey, you, you're it. So I do feel like the process of getting licensure, getting accredited, opening a birth center, writing protocols, working with insurance, like all of those things very much prepared me for, you know, doing it on my own. Um, and and I'm, I'm lucky and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had that um, boots on the ground experience from the ground up opening that birth center. Yeah. What are some top lessons learned that you took with you in opening your own practice? 
learning how to have a good work-life balance is probably the biggest lesson that I learned. You know, in midwifery, we are servants at heart um, and sometimes to a fault. And so that birth center was wonderful and we helped a lot of families, but it was to the detriment of the staff. And so I feel like the burnout rate was very, very high at that time, just because of the amount of energy and time and work that went into it to keep it successful and keep it running. Um, we were busy, which was great, but you know, to, to what end? And so um, a good work-life balance and knowing how to um, say no and learning how to work smarter and not harder is one of the biggest lessons that I've, I've learned from that experience. Also dealing with insurance companies, that, that is huge. Just the, the not so glamorous side of midwifery and business that, you know, when we see these beautiful water births on Instagram or on social media, you know, we, we forget about sometimes the behind the scenes, you know, stuff that had to happen to, to get there. And so payment and fees and billing and, you know, all those things none of us midwives really like to talk about or deal with. Um, definitely got to, to do a lot of that with the, with the birth center. So in your practice, do you take insurance? I do take insurance. I also have a wonderful biller that I have hired and, lesson learned. and to work with me. Yes, that's <laughs> a great lesson learned to, to, to do what you're good at and to outsource what you're not. And so I have a biller that I work with, but I do take um, I do take insurance. Okay. And what are you doing differently for yourself to allow that work-life balance? Limiting my client load, setting set times where I'm taking time off. You know, you know, as home birth midwives, we make ourselves fully available to our clients. Um, but looking at the calendar a year in advance and planning out uh, blackout periods where, you know, this is the time that I'm taking off with my family you know, and, and just being, uh, being protective, you know, of myself and of my family that, that I'm implementing very, very early on, even though I'm just getting started, I'm already planning my blackout periods. And I, I think that's a self-protective, you know, a self-protective measure. Now, are you a solo practice? I am, which is even more so why I'm, I'm really big on, 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 I'm just getting started, but I don't want to burn out before I even get off the ground good. So I'm, I'm doing it very carefully and slowly. Right. So I've heard various answers and I, I want to know what yours is, but as a solo midwife, what is your initial thoughts on how many do clients you'll take that month? So when I first started, my, my goal was to be between three to four clients a month. Um, I have now increased that number to five. And so five was my goal for, you know, three years in, but as you know, I, I hate to benefit from, from the COVID pandemic, but it has really increased the demand for home birth. And so I'm already, you know, for, for just getting started, I'm already at four, you know, three to four already and some months even five um, and I'm just getting started. I'm also fortunate that even though I am a solo midwife, I have a full-time RN that is working with me as my birth assistant and office help and all things needed. So even though I'm solo, I don't be, I, I, I feel like I have a very good uh, backup and very good support person with me. Yeah. So you and her will go to all the births together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Um, so money 
questions. What is your, because I'm sure you've sat and wrote this out and thought about it. What is your anticipated whatever salary, annual, monthly, whatever? What do you think based on that volume? Well, based on that, well, I did my initial performa based on three a okay. month. And okay. so obviously I'm busier than I anticipated, which I guess is a good thing, but I'm busier than I anticipated when I did my initial projections and performa. And so for year one, I had projected to pay myself about $75,000 um, in salary. That also take into account that I have an RN that I have to pay as well. And so I felt it more beneficial to me to take a lower salary for myself to have that support and that backup person. So um, I made the, the, made the decision to, to take a little bit of a lower salary to offset, you know, having her full time to help me. Yeah, but from what I've heard with home births, um, that's a pretty good salary. Yeah. And you're working for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you also have to think my frame of reference is coming from hospital employed as a salary, you know, so you have to be a little bit realistic about your expectations as well. You know, at least coming out the gate, you know, I was not expecting to make a hospital based midwife salary one as a new business owner and two as a home birth midwife, you know, so trying to keep that, you know, keep that realistic and keep those expectations, you know, there. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw you have a little baby, I do. a little person. So I have two questions um, because often this is the case, but how, and would you be willing to talk about how your pregnancy and birth affected your decision to do home birth and then how you manage motherhood and home birth midwifery now? How I manage motherhood and home birth midwifery now is a daily, <laughs> a daily uh, struggle. I think I'm just kind of winging it like, like a lot of moms are. Um, she will be turning three in May. And so we are in the throes of toddler tantrums and attitude and that whole three-nager thing. I did not know what we were in for, but oh boy. So I don't have any words of wisdom. I'm just taking it a day at a time and trying to keep my sanity. Um, so we have lots of family support. Um, she does go to school during the week uh, full time. So, you know, we, we have a support system around us to help with her. Um, as far as my pregnancy and birth with her, um, it was a very, very difficult time in my life. Um, I Obviously, I was a midwife for many years before um, getting pregnant and having her. And so... I really went into pregnancy without any expectations. Again, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and so I'm like, hey, I have no idea what to expect um, as far as myself. But I had a very difficult pregnancy. Um, I had a lot of nausea, a lot of vomiting first trimester. Um, I was very much hopeful that after the first trimester, I would get my, you know, second win. And unfortunately, that second win never came. And so second trimester rolled in and it was a very tough pregnancy emotionally. Um, My mother was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer during my second trimester. And I remember um, being fearful and being scared that she would not live, you know, in my, my midwife brain, I'm like, okay, how, how far away am I from viability? You know, am I, is my mother going to be able to meet my daughter? And so 
the second half of my pregnancy, as you can imagine, after that um, was very emotional and very scary. And I feel like there were some parts of it I didn't fully enjoy because my focus was no longer on my pregnancy. It was really on being a caregiver um, for my mom. Um, and so fast forward to, you know, my end of my pregnancy, you know, a very stressful pregnancy. I was working full time as a midwife, working in a very um, stressful job as a director. Um, and so it's no wonder, you know, I developed preeclampsia at 37 weeks. And so my midwife brain was still trying to midwife myself. Um, and it really took one of my midwife partners to really kind of put it in perspective, like, hey, you gotta, you gotta kind of let go of some control issues that you have here um, and do what's best. But my midwife brain, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm a primate. I'm 37 weeks. I'm not favorable. I have preeclampsia like this. This is not going to end well, you know, but but it's all a lesson in you can only control so much and you have to kind of go with the flow. And so I really had my aha moment when I reviewed my birth later with my midwife uh, colleague at the time and knowing the true value of midwifery care never meant more to me than in that moment when I was cared for as a pregnant woman because I was every midwife's nightmare in labor. You know, I had spontaneous D cells, I had lates, I had no variability. You know, my strip looked terrible from admission. My baby didn't tolerate labor. I had choreo, I had a terrible epidural. It was two day, I mean, just, everything that could go wrong was just going wrong. Everything was going wrong. And so um, I still ended up having a, a wonderful vaginal delivery solely because of the midwife that took care of me and a little bit of divine intervention, I would say, because any, any physician practice anywhere else, I, I, was, I would have a walk-in C-section. Um, and so I was well, my baby was well, I avoided a C-section. Um, and so that was really my aha moment that, you know, midwifery is, is magical. <laughs> You know, it really, it really is. I walk the, I walk the walk, but now I'm like, okay, I can, I, can, I talk the talk, but I'm, I'm walking the walk now. And so being on the receiving end of midwifery care really made all the difference. And so as far as opening up my own practice, that was really something that took root after the birth center that we ran um, was closed. You know, I, being the director, kind of being boots on the ground, I put a lot into opening that practice and opening that birth center. Um, and I felt personally kind of responsible for the rise and fall of it, even though it was not mine. It was a hospital owned, hospital ran birth center. Um, but I took you know ownership of it like I do anything that I'm a part of. And so after that closed, I had some conversations with some confidants and I remember saying to them, you know, if I ever take on another project of this magnitude, it's going to be for myself. And so that was in 20, late 2018, early 2019, when those conversations were had. And so that was really pre-COVID when my decision to open my own practice really kind of took root. Um, and so I, at the time, was not really sure what that was going to look like or what that timeline was going to be. But I remember in February of 2020, I was on a panel for 
a summit here in town for um, women of color trying to affect change as far as birth outcomes and birth statistics. And it was at that summit that I was like, yeah, the time is now, like it's time for me. And this was February of 2020. And I was like, I'm opening my practice. This is happening. It's here. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to offer home birth here in town. Three weeks later, COVID hit. And I was like, oh, okay. So let's pump the brakes on this. Let's just kind of ride this out. And, you know, as we, as we've seen over the last year, um, COVID has really, really impacted the birth world tremendously. And so it was really in the fall of 2020 when I really kind of, I was like, okay, I don't know when COVID is going to be over or when this pandemic is going to be over. Um, it's time to, it's time to, to move forward anyway. And what that looks like, we'll figure that out as we go. And so really fall of 2020 is when I, I reignited that, that passion and that desire to open. And then here we are now. Yeah. So what I did see that you are, how many, well, first of all, how many birth centers are in your community? So there are, as of now, there are two, well, there are three birth centers in our community. One is unfortunately closing. The midwife is retiring in May. And so that will leave uh, two birth centers in our community. Oh, I, and I guess I should clarify home birth. Right. Home birth. So home birth practices. So there are quite a few CPMs, okay. certified professional midwife um, home birth practices. There is one other CNM home birth practice. Um, and her name is Janelle. And I believe she's been a, a guest on your, on okay, your podcast yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Janelle, we are in the same community and okay. actually, um, she came out of the practice where, you know, where I was the director. So okay. um, I, I worked with Janelle, um, some years ago. Okay. That's nice. Small world. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a small world. So what is special that I read on your website, um, is you are the first, uh, home birth, midwife of color in your area, right? So I am the first, there was a CPM in our community some years back that ran, but she's no longer in practice, but I am the first um, certified nurse midwife and the only practicing midwife of color in our community right now. That's awesome. Um, Tell me, talk about why you think that's important in general, but especially for where you're at. I think in general, because midwifery, you know, the people that we serve are so uh, diverse. I feel like the workforce should reflect the diversity of the people that we are caring for. And so that is really what's missing, I think, in midwifery. And so I'm proud to be in the minority of of Black midwives. Um, and, And research and statistics have shown that a lot of women really are, are, are gravitating towards providers that they can relate to or that they have some commonality with or that look like them. And so when the workforce doesn't reflect the people they're caring for, I feel like there's a disconnect. And so um, on, a, on a local level, that for sure is true. Um, in addition to being the only um, black midwife in our area. Um, there are no black like generalist OBGYNs in our community, which is uh, a travesty. And so um, there's a huge need um, in our community to, to, to care for these diverse women with a diverse background. And so 
Um, I, I've been very, very fortunate over the years to have great relationships with women from all backgrounds, all walks of life, but I feel even more so now out of hospital birth and home birth, um, being accessible for women of color is, is something and it's kind of a, a sweet spot in a niche to where I'm, I'm hoping to feel in this community. Yeah. Do you feel like you've seen that so far in opening that you have a larger clientele of women of color so far? I do. So far, you know, I've only been open, you know, a few weeks, but, you know, I started some of my marketing um, and a lot of it has been word of mouth and referrals, you know, in the months leading up to. And so I'd say right now my my client base is about 50% um, African-American, 50% Caucasian. And I am so proud of that. Um, And I'm so happy that that women of color are really seeing me and seeing someone that they can relate to and are exploring other options. I think in the news and the media, we've been seeing so much as far as the statistics about black birth and black women and the mortality and morbidity. And so black women are scared and and rightfully so. And so it's no wonder that they are gravitating and looking for solutions and looking for people to be allies and to help them. You know, I've had lots of women reach out to me and say, you know, I just want someone to listen to me, someone to take my concerns seriously, someone that's going to make sure that I come out of this alive. Um, And that shakes me every time I hear that, you know, no woman should go into childbirth being fearful of of living and, and raising her family after that. And so, you know, I take that as a huge mandate, you know, like I don't take it lightly. I'm like, I'm, these people are putting their trust in me and I'm, I'm, I'm going to deliver. Like I'm not losing any mamas on my watch. Mm. That is such a scary thing that anyone would have to ever have come across their mind. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm thankful, you know, for, you know, for my, even my privilege, I will say, you know, being, you know, a woman that knows, you know, medical labor and birth, um, but I'm thankful for the care team that I had. Um, but a lot of women aren't afforded the same privileges that I had. And so my birth could have went completely different, you know, uh, depending on, on other circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Do you also offer um, like primary or gyne care? I do. I offer gyne care, primary care. I do still have, which also makes my practice a little bit unique. I have retained my hospital privileges. And so I can still deliver in the hospital. So my mamas that need transfer, you know, can stay with me and I can take care of them in the hospital setting. I'm really trying not to do a lot of planned hospital births here in the beginning, but the demand has just been there, you know, and and I'm, I'm trying to balance that thing I was talking about early on is, is trying to balance and knowing that I can't be all things to all people. Um, but these hospital privileges, I think are a game changer for our community. Yeah, for sure. So maybe not initially, but eventually will you take women that will want your prenatal care, but want to deliver in the hospital? I have three now, um, and they're spaced out, but yes. Um, in our state, VBAC at home is a touchy subject. And so at this point, I'm not 
attending VBACs at home. Um, so if I have VBAC mamas, I have a VBAC mama now who wants to see me, but is planning for a hospital delivery. Um, I have another mama who has some comorbidities that don't make home birth the right choice for her. So we're going to deliver in the hospital. Um, and so I think it's a case by case, just like, you know, just like a lot of things are, but I don't want anyone to choose home birth just for the sake of seeing me, if that's not what they really want to do. And so I'm trying to be flexible um, for those women as well. Yeah. But yes, I'm going to have to grow my team. I'm only one person. So um, yes, growth is definitely in the, in the future for Genesis. Yeah. I mean, I suppose just thinking, you know, about hospital births, you have the support of the nurses in the hospital, you know, more than home birth. Home birth is just you. So that may help a little bit with the balance. I'm hoping Just so. Thinking. And it's a great, yeah. right. And it's a great hospital. And they're, like I said, this is the hospital where I've worked all these years. And so I have a great relationship with the physicians and the nurses. Um, and so I feel very comfortable bringing my clients there. So I have no, no, you know, no issues from that side. So I'm, I'm very happy for the support. I do. That kind of leads into my question about the laws and regulations for CNMs in South Carolina. What is it? How, like, can you practice autonomously? Do you have to have a physician collaboration? So we have made some strides in South Carolina and in 20, I believe it was 2017 or 2018, we went from supervisory language to a more collaborative language. And so there were some wins with the changes in the legislation, but not quite to full independence that we wanted. And so as a nurse midwife, you still have to have a collaborating physician who you can call or you can email or that can consult with if needed. Um, the way the regulations read, um, that collaborating physician does need to have admitting privileges in a hospital. And so that I believe has been a little bit of a barrier for some midwives, um, trying to get physicians to collaborate with them for out of hospital care, but, a group, but still having you know, hospital privileges themselves. Um, so that I think is one of the biggest barriers for, for nurse midwives. But you did it. I did it. Yes. Yes. And it's because of my tenure and the time yeah. that I've been in this community and, and the relationships that I have with the physicians, the chairwoman of our um, department at this hospital, she is very supportive of midwifery and understands, um, importance of access and options for women um, and wanting women to have safe care even if it's not inside of the hospital and so um, I think I had a leg up because I they knew me your journey took you that way for a reason for sure mm -hmm, absolutely you know um, so what what else do you want to share anything that you're passionate about or just a message to people listening especially people wanting to be a midwife, shoot, put it out there. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, have gotten lots of emails and lots of calls and lots of DMs since my announcement from, you know, midwives in training or people that are interested in midwifery or people looking for a mentor. And unfortunately, I'm not able to, to touch and communicate and work with everyone. But I think my biggest message is, to never give up. Like everything worth having is worth fighting for. Midwifery is not for the faint of heart. And so that, 
uh, midwifery training is just uh, the beginning of a long journey. And so um, you have to have some tenacity and some grit and some, you know, come hell or high water, this is what's, this is what I'm doing. Um, so you gotta, gotta toughen up and be ready for the ride. That is really good advice. <laughs> and it's super true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's rewarding and it's worth it. And I don't regret it for a minute. But, you know, again, like I said earlier, the, the beautiful water burst that you see on Instagram, it, it's way bigger than that. And so you really, really, really have to do some soul searching and digging to see what has drew you to midwifery and, and, and what is your calling. And this is about changing lives. This isn't about, you know, Instagram photos or, you know, a, a beautiful water birth. We're, we're changing lives. Yep. And it's not holding babies all right. day. It's not, it's <laughs> not holding babies all day. Yeah. I remember they're cute, when I first, but... <laughs> yeah, they're cute. Yeah. When I went to mid, when I first went to midwifery school and was explaining to um, my parents and my mother specifically about what a midwife was, which is, is, um, is so funny to think back, but she's like, so you're actually like in the delivery room. Like, that's the only way to catch a baby is to actually be in the room. She was just so fascinated. Um, you know, she'd had three traditional births with OBGYN. She'd had natural births, you know, unmedicated births, but just, you know, back in the, the early eighties, it was just, you go in, the OB tells you what to do, you know, and you just have babies. Um, so it just, it's been, it's been great over the years to, to bring them along the midwifery journey um, and, and let them see and, and learn what, what I've been doing. Um, my mom, unfortunately, she passed uh, six months ago, um, which was two and a half years post a stage four diagnosis, which I am still so grateful for that time and the two and a half years that she got to know and meet and hold my baby and get to know her. Um, and she is very much with me every day and a big part of my why and you know why I went ahead and pushed forward with my practice when I did and the lives that I'm gonna touch. You know, this is really, you know, paying homage to her and the legacy that she that she's left behind. Oh, that's beautiful. You're a strong person. Yeah. You never know how strong you have you are until what? Until strong is the only choice. Is that I think that's a, a famous uh <laughs> famous saying, but it's it's true. Yeah, that is true. I, I don't know if it is, but it, if it isn't, it should be. It <laughs> you should just be. said yeah. it. You take credit for it. <laughs> so all right, Bethany, thank you. That was a great thank share. Thank you so much, Amber, for having me. At any time. And that's a wrap on another great episode of the Journey to Midwifery podcast. Remember to find Bethany at genesisbirthandwellness.com. She's also on Facebook and Instagram by the same name. Those sites are linked in the show notes. You can find me at Journey to Midwifery podcast, both on Instagram and Facebook, or you can email me at journey to midwifery podcast at gmail.com. And remember to send me suggestions for people you want to be on the podcast and I will reach out to them. Until next time. <laughs>